Hello everybody, welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? The daffodils are bursting out of the ground. Things are getting cancelled left, right and centre because people are starting to sneeze on each other. But one thing is always true, and that's my D20. And, gaz up the road. Hello mate. Alright Baz, happy GM's day. <laughs> is it? It is, is apparently. Today? At the time of recording, oh. it is. Happy GM's day, yes. Well, alright, happy GM's day to you, because you're my GM at the minute, which I'm sure we'll cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess happy GM's day to... Uh, oh, Matt. Matt's my GM. Matt Steamforged, we'll talk about that a bit later too. And happy GM's Day to all of you. I have had no previous congratulations to you mentioning that, so now I feel blue. No, I got, I got some of a good friend Dirt the Dice from the Greg Nides File podcast. Mm-hmm. He uh, he mentioned it earlier and posted some pictures up from 1970s kids' comics and stuff as he's want. <laughs> On the Elvis juice again, Dirk. <laughs> a torrent of nostalgia from all the Greg Nides out there who are reminiscing about the good old days. La 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 la, looking. <laughs> Back when we actually had role playing magazines, maybe. Or at least fanzines. Oh, there's a podcast or two in there. I'll put it on the list. <laughs> We've got a list. <laughs> well, I've got post it notes all over the place. I'll be one of them somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, so um, I guess uh, before we get into stuff, speaking of GMs and that, um, you, we're noticeably absent as a guest. Mm. It's one of those rare occasions, isn't it? We've got no one else on but thee and me. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I think we might have got away with it because it's a leap year and the, the, the calendars have moved today <laughs> and they all missed us. I don't know. No, it's good yeah. just to have a chat, to be honest. Yeah, well, it is. I've left my watch purposely wrong this last week. I feel like some kind of rebel. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sticking it to Casio as we speak. <laughs> I'm sure they'll send a guy out. <laughs> it probably will. Yeah. Yeah, so no guests, no special people. John Harper was last on. Loads of nice feedback about that one as well. John was a great guest, mm. as are they all. Um, but yeah, that was really good. Um, which I'm using as a segue because uh, we're professional podcasters now. We're into three figures to say John Harper, Blades in the Dark, Scum and Villainy, games we have played. All correct. And in fact, this week I ran a session of a gun as well. So we've got a hat trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, let's catch up. What what we've been playing, um, what's been on the nightstand, what's been on Roll20, what's been on the gaming table, what's been coming through the letterbox in Amazon parcels, what's been in the game store, what we've been up to, mate. Do you want to do all of mine first, or shall we take it in turns? How many you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so well, I've just mentioned a gun there, so it's, it's a nice segue into um, having John on last week, but... Yeah, I really like it, but we, we have played some Scum and Villainy, thanks to Keeper mm. Matt for um, taking us through that. Uh, we previously you Keeper Matt. <laughs> yeah. We've previously played some Blades of the Dark with uh, Ian McAllister as well from the Brainwaves podcast. Mm-hmm. And both of them were in my Agon game, along with some others, like Guy Milner, who we know, who's been mm-hmm. on the show before as well. Um, but yes, I think it's... Uh, a lot more accessible as a game it's conflict resolution rather than task it's there for fast paced fun and as regular listeners will know we're all about pace no game suffers from too much of it mm-hmm. uh, and it's a nice format in terms of you have an island to do something with and then you sail off and it's a different island next time you keep doing that in a modular fashion so I think for punchy two hour online games it's certainly um, it's hitting the right spots I tried Scum and Villainy uh, myself with uh, our girlfriend Pete and some others. All right. And it kind of half worked and half didn't. And I was I had lots of thoughts afterwards and we discussed it a little bit about how you need to play that game. I don't know. I'm still in two minds about um, SMV and Blood mm. of the Dark to a little uh, lesser extent probably. But I think Agon's uh, more um, focused. It's, uh, there's more precision. It's, it's shorter, smaller a nicer fit, more efficient so I can definitely see what you have to do with that game and I think mm. the other games possibly take a bit more thought I don't know, what did you think of, uh, of Blades and Scum and Villainy? Well, um, Blades and Dark is in my is in my top whatever the number is of RPGs I mean, admittedly that could be a big number yeah, <laughs> three or four figures but, yeah. yeah, well I'll put it top five I, I, I really enjoy Blades and Dark and the reason it's up there is because it's um, literally inspired me to do stuff and to write stuff, GM stuff, put together scenarios and there's actually a shockingly small number of games in my collection that do that most of them are are read, they're interesting chat about it for a bit there's not that many actually make it into a full fledged let's play this, let's get the characters going 
get some strangers together and, and roll it out. And Blaze definitely did that. Um, and so by extension, um, Scum and Villainy, I've really enjoyed the sessions that we played of Scum and Villainy. And, and again, thanks Keeper Matt for, for, for showing us the stuff, um, sticking it all up on Roll20 and being very accommodating. Hmm. And, uh, and obviously really knows his onions as well. So that was a really good, strong demo. So I feel like I can talk about Scum and Villainy and have an opinion about it with, that's got some kind of authenticity to it. It's not just sort of a, a ready yeah. and this is what I think, you know. So we've had a good run out of it. I've been spending decades looking for the right science fiction game for me. From a setting perspective, I think this is it. I really like the setting. It's, it's lightly sketched, but it just seems made of adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's full of gameable material, not so dense that you can't can't penetrate it. You don't have to be a a master to do that. You can pick it up in fairly broad strokes, but seems to be deep enough to get some stuff going on as well. And, and we had a nice little sort of chat about Star Wars, Guardians of the Galaxy, Cowboy Bebop. You know the, the sort of themes that we could touch on, and that worked really nicely. You know, we didn't have to worry about like too many technology questions or people seeing different types of spaceship when the GM says you see a spaceship (laughs) so you know that's all really good Um, I mean I think with with all those Forged in the Dark games they're just hard they're they're just literally quite hard you you can't be casual about it you can't be casual as a GM despite not having to do traditional prep you know we had Matt was kept well on his toes always having to improvise react every dice roll requires not just a decision like a, a refereeing decision but actually, you've got to start. You've got to start chewing through some more content with every roll, and 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 players. Even though you know we've only really got twelve stats in those games, and and the player picks it. You know, you you say if you want to do a sway roll or something like that. So you think you can get away with going, I sway that person. That's just not going to fly. It never would with you and me anyway. No. But but you've really you can't coast through it at all. You can't lean on a combat for like thirty <laughs> minutes rest. You can't, you can't lean on downtime to let other people go and you know gather some information or knock about in the bar. In fact, you can't do anything that isn't like deadly serious and like with massive consequence. Even though it doesn't actually have massive consequence, it feels like you kind of got to be on the edge. Well, just leaning into the game the whole time. I found it, I found it quite exhausting in a good way. Um, yeah, and I think you know. A couple of hours was more than enough for me. I was definitely getting a bit flagging by the end. Yeah, yeah, I think, and it's not just GM players need to come up with stuff all the time, don't they? Mm-hmm. It depends how you run it as to how much you want to put that weight on the players to say. So, what does this bar look like, and what does this look like, and well, what's this sound like, and what's going on over here, and what might that be, and why might this be? Mm. So you don't necessarily have to prepare it all yourself. In fact, you're advised not to prepare it all yourself too much as a GM you can throw some weight on the players but then that also means that the players are coming up with things and perhaps not working out what they want to do so much as having to think a lot of the time about what's going on and mm. putting and you kind of feel the pressure to come up with something interesting and cool every time don't you if someone yeah. says so what does the uh, what does the drink look like in here that, that you know what's the kind of alcohol you can't just say oh it's a beer you feel like you've yeah. got to go oh it's blue octurian brandy or something or come up with something that just sounds cool and i think that just adds mm. Uh, mental weight to what you're doing like you say it feels like work and you can just say oh it's just beer but then I don't know for people like us we feel like we're letting the side down a bit don't we if we do that I don't think that the players mind as much but we definitely feel like I should have done something better with that yeah and and you get into a you get into a state where everybody's trying to one up them each other it's a good thing don't get me wrong you're building on each other's improv um, but if you look down at your watch and realise you spent 20 minutes you're not like left the elevator because <laughs> everyone's describing the button and what type of shoes they're wearing today and what it means about everything this is overstating it somewhat but it seemed like everything was serious and and that means it's an absolute pig from a pacing perspective not just about speed but about that rise and fall that you see in a lot of games about those shades of black and white you know um, it's uh, yeah it just feels like you're in a drag racer of of like you know you've got to be on your game and everybody's got to be contributing because if you don't there's no game i actually believe that there's very little underneath that sh- underneath that chrome chassis you know there's not a lot to the dice rolls mechanically it's a sound game i get it but um without the adjectives and the adverbs and the verbs and the words that everybody puts into it 
it would fall very flat if you just played it purely mechanically. Mm. But by adding adding all of that fiction onto it, nobody can take any time off. You certainly can't just hit something with its axe, and you can't. And it's almost like there's not a, you can't do much conflict resolution, even though there's no combat system and no starship combat system per se. You still don't feel like you can just say, "I fly my fighter past the dreadnought and escape." <laughs> it has to be something a little bit more than that, doesn't it? Yeah, everything becomes a chase. <laughs> yeah, and and it does seem to go down to micro details sometimes, doesn't it? Even mm. though, the, like I said, the game system doesn't insist on that, but because you get consequences quite a lot of the time, like quite mm. often the result is a four or five on a d six, which is the you get what you want and or you get what you want, but and there's something else you add onto it, so you constantly getting past one obstacle to have something else in your way or yeah. you're setting up something for later that's going to come back to haunt you or or that kind of thing or there's some other cost so even when you think like okay we want to break out of the barn oh, the, the baddies have turned up let's run away the act of mm. running away can take several rounds going past the players as they generate a bunch more consequences and mm-hmm. it's like, okay you get to the fire escape but it's it's barred or it's alarmed or there's an accuser guy outside conducting a drug deal as you burst into him and that kind of thing so it yeah. feels like simple actions can become quite not staccato, but there's like just tons of things happening one after the other. And I think some of the art of playing the Forge of the Dark games is getting that 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 thing to happen, but mm. managing to keep it smooth so there's not like lots of breakpoints all the time that you need to now think about in a different way to get past. Yeah, I agree. And um, and I think by asking every player what do you do, you've got like three or four times the amount of chances for, the, for to put a break on the action instead of an accelerator on the action. Mm. Players don't want to do that, but because anything you attempt to do, and maybe that's it, maybe not everything you attempt to do should have a dice roll. And I'm not saying that's what did happen, but whenever there's a dice roll, it it tended to put a break on things a little bit for me. It can. I think with practice, that guy's better, doesn't it? So we should probably point yeah. out that we're, we've recently just been having one shot, so you kind of pick up a game and have one go at it in a couple of hours, and that's your lot. But if you play half a dozen sessions that probably mm. all becomes a lot smoother and everybody understands what they want to zoom into and what they want to lay back from and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think so. It's a game of one-shots, but it's also a campaign game, like every other role-playing game. I think you reserve judgment to leave them half a dozen sessions. And I enjoyed our games. I genuinely did. Good couple of sessions. Um, and uh, beginning, middle and end. Definitely good characters. I uh, forgot to mention that. Whenever you generate characters in Forged and Dark games, they're always great. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the the tactile elements of the character sheets, like filling in dots and the way that Roll Twenty automates so much stuff, it's it's funky looking, you know. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I would I would go back into it uh, without hesitation, actually. Yeah. And it's, it's it sent me back to pick up my books, and it's it, it remains a really good mechanical system. And yeah, I, c- I can't see myself picking up a different science fiction game. This is, it's got the number yeah. one slot for me at the moment of games I would like to play if there were a science fiction game in the offing. That's true. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think, I mean, part of it might just be pressure we're putting ourselves, but whenever I play mm. that sort of game, I always wonder or worry if I'm doing it right, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, we're yeah. not doing it egregiously yeah. wrong, but I'm always wondering, like, are we doing enough of this or too much of something, or are we going fast enough, or are we rolling too many times, or are we not? Are we spending mm. stress in the right, you know, like, I think it just feels like something I've got to uh, have a good long run at to kind of get in the the vibe and flow. And I don't think we're doing anything drastically wrong, but to make it sing, I think you've got to think about it quite a bit to get get in the rhythm. Yeah, because it's not like D and D or Savage Worlds or something like that. It's a different way of playing game. It is, yeah, and we and because we're kind of like having it demoed to us, we're sort of stopping to explain things as we go along, which yeah. is what you want from a demo. So you know you do get a bit meta sometimes, and then we analyse everything. And as as hopefully competent GMs around the table, there's so many blooming judgment calls that poor old Matt has to make. You know, it's not just the dice, is it? The no. dice only give you three results, but the judgment calls off the back of them, the story judgment calls are massive. And and as a player, you've just had basically the whip hand for five minutes. Then you roll the dice and see it taken away from you, and it's like. I was just getting into the idea of how this story might go and now it's, it's veered off somewhere, it's somewhere else, else yeah. I wouldn't have done that you think to yourself <laughs> <And then> you <laughs> think, <laughs> yeah. so it's difficult to know where to share the authority as well like you know who gets the veto on things um, and it's it's so bloody democratic isn't it that honestly honestly, I found myself sometimes thinking 
come on, GM, you just tell me what's in the box. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a stylistic choice you can make, isn't it? I don't think the game mm. tells you that you have to not <laughs> pick things like that. Yeah. Whether it's the GM or the player decides what's in the box, I think that's up to individual groups. And you can decide yeah. that amongst yourself. Yeah, so, but yeah, I think it's just it's a different type of game. So, for example, when we're playing Deadlands, I think there's just a, it's like an old comfy chair in, in, in that respect, in that mm-hmm. you fall back and you know that the plot's all on the GM side of the screen. Mm. And you can play at it if you if you know what I mean, or play the game and just play the game, and you know there's no pressure on you to come up with cool twists because I've probably got a bunch of post-it notes behind my invisible screen that I don't have with ideas about what's going to happen or you know mm. the motivations of the NPCs without someone else having to come up with who's the cool NPC that's now mad at you because you looked inside the box or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been playing Deadlands Reloaded over Roll Twenty with Dirk and Blythe and Matt and Bears and. And that's, that's got some legs behind it now, hasn't it? That mm. We've done, what, half a dozen sessions, I'm going to say? Yeah, and if I wanted to be lazy in your game, mate, I could just sit back and uh, I know that the plot will be whizzing along fairly soon. And if I don't take that hook, I'll get blindsided by another plot that's <laughs> going to come up and ban- banjo me. Yeah. You know, I mean, we won't do that. So we're going to be a bit more proactive. And you set up what I think is a really nice little sandbox. Um, and we just moved to a different area of the sandbox, but there's definitely people to speak to, things are happening uh, levers to pull, things to interact with, plus we're getting to know each other a little bit better as well yes. so there's that element of the game where you, where you can rock back in your chair and, and me and Blythe's character will have a row about who's got the best gunslinging ability <laughs> you know? and that's nice you know, we're getting comfortable with each other aren't we? Yeah. And comfortable with the world and uh, yeah, I'm enjoying Deadlands really am, and, and it's good to get back to Savage which we did a pretty deep dive on wasn't it, last year? Yes and um, yeah, and thanks for knowing your stuff, mate. Because I still get confused by damage rolls because <laughs> it's not something I play every day. <laughs> do these still explode? Yes, boss. Yes, they do. I know. I know they explode. Oh God, I know. But you add them together, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> every week. It was fine because the, there's still bits of the new rules from Swerd that I've not properly. Well, it's not that I haven't read, but I haven't probably tried them yet. Hmm. Mm. So it's good to try the slightly tweaked mass battle reels, for example. But there's yeah. still a lot of things in there about dramatic tasks and chases or other things like that that we haven't touched yet. So I really like it as a toolkit system, as I think we've said many times before. But um, mm. that's a game, unlike the previous ones that we just mentioned, then where you have to think of stuff, really, the, the reliance is on the players to do things and the gem. Mm. Uh, in a game like Savage, there are lots of tools. So if you want to do something different with a session, you can just add in some of these other things that are there in the optional rule section to make it more interesting and more different. And it's where you can mm. lean on the mechanics a bit to make some of the game happen for you. So you're having to do a bit more prep for Savage, is that fair to say? Yeah, because it's, it's changed markedly since the, the other changes to Savage Worlds editions and they've called various names have been functionally the same with like maybe one side of A4 with some different explanations on them and slightly different tweet things. Mm. But this one has got enough different that I need to keep checking to make sure I'm not falling into my memory of 10 years of playing the other Savage because it's changed now yeah. and I'm doing it right and I've still got a little post-it note on my gem screen with distracted and vulnerable on and what they mean because I get them mixed up all the time <laughs> yeah but it's good it's still still the same old Savage in many ways uh, and it's good for fast furious fun for action uh, and probably the thing that's enabled a lot of gaming for us and others out there I've noticed uh, Old Scouser and a couple of others on the on Twitter saying this that we're playing lots because we've got Roll20 and Google Hangouts and yeah. various other online tools that allow us to do it. The, the Blaze and the Dark Sheets, for example, uh, and there's some for Scum and Villainy, there's going to be some for a gun as well. They're just like things of beauty. You can click the skill mm. you've got and it rolls it for you and comes up with a nice little background and does all the bits and pieces you need it to do, which is wonderful. And for Savage mm. Worlds, even Roll20's got things like um, decks of cards you can do. You can make custom ones with your own backs on if you want, or even create your own faces on the cards to put into a deck and just have 20 cards with special abilities that you hand out randomly or things like that so the online tools are definitely enabling us and other people to get a lot more gaming in. Yeah that's true that's true, I mean I've, I've done more gaming this year than I probably did in all of last year, Yeah, I'm just on that there. basis yeah. um, and it's what's well, March now and um, and that was from a bit of advice I got from Dirk because uh, Dirk always does this lovely thing at the end of the year with the Grogdown Files where he, he goes through his stats <laughs> for hours played and that kind of stuff Bless. And um, but he he did say, didn't he? I said, how do you manage to get that much time done? 
And he goes, well, you've got to work at it. You know, sometimes you don't want to. Sometimes you really don't want to. You want to crash and like catch up on Netflix and just not play a game, but you got to work at it. And I thought, oh, yeah, all right, it's a good mentality, to be honest, because we always get to the end of the year and go, I wish we played more games. And and this year, my resolution on a month-by-month basis has been to not blow off any games. Yeah. And I've had to do it once due to ill health, and I've regretted it, but it had to happen, to be honest, and never voice. Um, but it's once, and that's in what that's in just over two months now and I've played loads of games and sometimes I haven't wanted to but within 10 minutes of it starting yeah you do you do yeah you're glad you did yeah you know um you know I haven't had any poor games which has helped in fact they've all been excellent I've really enjoyed my gaming this year it's been some of the best gaming I've had in years really genuinely good stuff um and I've ventured on to roll 20 myself as well and um I've started a uh a pickup game of King of Dungeons went onto Twitter. I think at your advice, hmm. he said, "Why don't when you go on Twitter and say who wants to play a game?" And loads of people put their hand up. <laughs> Not all of them actually show up. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the art. You have to ask too many people. <laughs> you do. So I start. I, I pitched a, a game start for eight o'clock on a Saturday night, and at one point, if they'd all showed up, I'd have had thirteen players, which would have been like A, B, and D levels. <laughs> so that could have been fun. Um, but or or not yeah. fun as it turns out. But instead, what happened? <laughs> yeah, instead, what happened was I got a really good core of players, and we're a good few sessions in now. Um, and that's been so gratifying because I've had a couple. Uh, I've had a guy return uh, who I played with before, and a bunch of other people I've never met in real life, to my to my knowledge, at least. And um, and um, and we're becoming friends and becoming gamers together, and that's what it's all about. And you know, I've, I still get dead nervous about running a game for anyone even more so when it's online and triply so when it's a game you wrote and people keep asking you how the rules work (laughs) (laughs) and you don't know the answers (laughs) not a clue (laughs) so you want to get it right don't you Um, and it's been working really well and um, I've kind of enjoyed doing the prep for that as well because I've tried to make it a bit easier on myself I've been writing some scenarios for King of Dungeons and um, uh, Call of Cataclysm is out now on drive-through click through and find it it's five bucks it's really good and I didn't want to do that for these guys so I've been leaning on some published stuff and just picking bits and pieces off the shelf so I'm using some stuff from Lankmar um, the, the Dungeon Crawl Classics version right? because I love DCC um, but I didn't want to run that straight up I was just like taking bits and elements of it for my games and I'm kind of blending it with um, an old source book I say old, it's about 5-6 years old I don't see people talk about it very often it's a, it's a thing called Razor Coast which was a giant source book that was done for Pathfinder originally, but then that project failed and it got brought out again on a Kickstarter for Swords and Wizardry. Essentially, it's a giant fantasy setting. Um, really big, thick book uh, set in a sort of a subtropical, slightly piratical kind of world. So I'm blending a few bits and pieces together and just having fun getting my notebook out, getting Sly Farish's uh, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and putting down a few bullet points and seeing what happens and it's been enormous fun so far yeah. and then you go to Roll20 and start importing maps and images and you lose your entire life to it. <laughs> so everything you gain from being like you know a nice improv prep heavy you lose <laughs> due to technology putting in pictures <laughs> yeah <laughs> fonts oh my god <laughs> Yeah, it's good fun though, isn't it? As long as you're enjoying it. I think that's the thing. There's some people who complain about prep and hate it and don't want to do it and say you don't have to. And Well, you don't have to if you don't want to. I mean, like, just don't take such a militant view on it that if other people are quite enjoying mm. doing it, don't tell them they, they shouldn't, that they can't, they're not allowed to, or they, they're not doing it right, they're being inefficient. Because mm. people like you are actually like looking through pictures of stuff and finding different fonts or, you yeah. know, drawing a map or, or a little handout or something. Mm. So let's do what do what makes you happy. That's part of the game experience, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit of a new skill, though, isn't it? It's like a it's a new thing for the modern GM. It doesn't have to do like you say, but your modern GM has also got to be a bit of a crafter, and um, and, and be able to navigate online play, which is not complicated. As you say it doesn't have to be at all complicated. It can be as complicated as making a phone call, yeah, um, or a conference call. But you know, when you when you see people who've got some like really cool characters. 
where um, little sprites are leaping about on a map and breathing fire on each other. Yeah. <laughs> and you think, whoa, that looks really cool. <laughs> so now you know, I want to do that too. Well, I don't really know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, you could easily lose weeks of your life trying to work out how to animate GIFs and stuff. Can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in the kind of the games that I like as well, there's there's a lot available. You can go in very, very deep and spend quite a bit of money if you want to on the map packs and token bits and yeah you know if you want to stay official watsy stuff for D D, you can go right up to your neck in in all the bling um i haven't quite gone that far yet i don't think i need to um but i have been poking about in D D beyond quite a bit um my my other i've got two gms called matt at the moment steamforge matt who's often on our show he's been running some 5e for us for quite a while now um and we we've um some of us I've used D and D Beyond for character sheets. I was going old school for a while with a bit of paper and some pencil and some dice. Yeah, uh, and I was definitely the old-fashioned guy at the table. So now I look around us and I realise that Matt's GM screen looks a lot like a MacBook, and uh, and all of our character sheets look a lot like tablets. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and if it weren't for the for the good people have all rolled up, I doubt we'd have dice. <laughs> I think we'd be doing something else. Yeah, but it's, it's works great. It's good. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, my D&D noobs, unfortunately, due to Storm Dennis, whichever one it was, it took loads of tiles off the house of Bag End, my friend's house, when we go around to play. Yeah. So he had to put tiles back on his roof rather than play again this month, which is a bit of a shame. Hopefully catch up with them later, but they started asking questions, so I've got them hooked, which is nice. Mm. But I just pointed them at D&D Beyond, and like, you know, the, the resistance I had to them buying a book, like just one player's mm. handbook between them, seemed like quite strong. I suppose because they used to buy novels, which might be like seven or eight quid, and I'm pointing at something that's like thirty quid and hardback. Yeah, and, and the rest, mate. And, yeah. and it seems yeah. like a, a bit of an investment. But I showed them D and D Beyond, and that was it. They was just like spent an evening poking around and making characters and trying to work out mm. where things came from and what they could add to them or why. And then I was tech support for four hours as they kept ringing me to find out like <laughs> what they'd done and how they managed to do this thing. And I'm reading through my actual book trying to work out what they've done because D&D Beyond did it all for them but yeah mm. th- them getting interested is purely a result of there being an online resource for them to poke around in mm. and now they've bought a book happily as well so there you go yeah I mean it, it, it is good but it, it doesn't teach you how to play the game so it is no. weird how often I have to look stuff up in a book to find out what on earth D&D Beyond did helpfully for me yeah. but it didn't tell me how it got there yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and it, the player's handbook is rotten for generating characters from I've gotten used to it, but you may have experienced oh, this with noobs or, or doing your, your own characters. You think, where the bloody hell is my, I don't know, my hit dice? And, and now everyone's going to be screaming at us now going, oh, I know exactly where the hit dice is. Well, you know what, in the in the, the red hot fury of having to generate six characters for a game you're having tomorrow, I lost a lot of this stuff and I was flicking backwards and forwards and then I got to spells and, and I know this game. I know this game pretty well, but it was a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's not laid out well at all. Like I said, going from level two to three, and the guys I wanted help, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll just go to the level up bit. And then I started looking for it, and I couldn't find it in the book. I went, oh, it's not there. And it's in each yeah, individual class. And then it's not mm-hmm. like in nice tables, it's in paragraphs of text you've got to read through mm-hmm. to find the one line that you actually need to know about. And there's several of them yeah. sprinkled amongst four pages. And God help you if you change an ability, because yeah. then you have to go and retrofit stuff and find out that that, that changes the amount of spells you might know. Yeah. About, and, or it's, a, it's put another plus one in your Eldritch Blast on D&D Beyond, and you have no idea where it came from. And in some ways, it doesn't matter where that plus one came from, but you want to know. Yeah. So you go digging for it, and then you realise it was because of some race you picked, <laughs> some racial choice yeah. you made in level one. Oh, that's the one. A really basic thing, because I've, I've stayed away from D&D for some time, but... Um, the guys, well, the guys is an elf wizard. You want to know mm. if you have a long sword? I said, oh, probably not. <laughs> I have no idea. You probably, <laughs> well. you've probably not got a proficiency <laughs> in it, so you'd be rubbish. Uh, and I'm thinking, I don't know, you might get disadvantage, or there'll be something there. You won't get your attribute bonus, or mm. there's some sort of thing. It says, oh, well, in D&D Beyond, it says I can because I'm proficient in it. I was like, oh, does it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't say anything under wizards in the book. And then it works out because he's an elf, he gets proficiency in long swords or something. So it's. But none of that's all like easily available in a, a consumable no. format if you're just looking at the book itself. But like you say, you should probably just trust D&D Beyond to do it all properly because it knows what it's doing in the background. So, Yeah, I've not found any mistakes in it, that's for sure. It's, it's right. I mean, I, I did more than a few sessions where um, Matt runs a tight game, which is really good, and 
and we've asked him to play it like as rulesy as he wants you know if we're going to play D&D let's play D&D yes he, he, he keeps wanting to go all like indie on us and go um, or we, we could have this fight or we could montage it and it's like well, if, you, if you're going to tell us we're not having a fight in D&D I don't think we're in the right game what we're we doing you know? <laughs> yeah let's, let's lean into what D&D does yeah. so, so you know you, you're not doing anyone any favours because we've got character sheets that are full of cool things that we want to have happen and it took us ages to find them so let's have them. <laughs> yeah. and they all happen in fights so we, they do we need yeah, to have one do. so we can use our stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah, let's do it because you know, and we, we're just enjoying that. Um, but I sat with the rule book, and what's been good about being a player is um, we've often had this discussion. People say, "Oh, make up a rule because it slows down play when you look stuff up in play." Well, as a GM, I very rarely ever do look up stuff in play. Nor do I think I'm making rulings either. I just try really hard to remember the rules of the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as a player, I had the opportunity to sort of like look over stuff when when my fellow paladin was trying to do something. I would just sort of idly browse the book and look it up and still to keep an ear on the game. I learned loads, absolutely loads. Yeah. And it's not a question of like saying, ah, you got this wrong. You definitely don't jump into the middle of the game and go, that's not how it works. No. Or that my guys would have been fine with that. It was just telling how I've played 5e quite a lot and I played D&D all my adult life and my child life as well. I still don't know the game. Not really. Shocking. Yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, what was I playing last night? The One Ring with Guy, who I've mentioned mm. before. Uh, and there's that, again, is another rule book that has, like, you read it and everything makes sense as you're reading it. But then when you want to look something up, you know there's a rule for it you've read somewhere, but it's not necessarily in a very obvious place. And you kind of have to go around a little bit. Uh, and I asked Guy something, he was the, the lawyer master, or the GM, Think about a damage bonus and favoured abilities and something, and he just he started stumbling a bit going, I'm not really sure. Straight away, I just said, If you don't know, don't worry about it, I'll look it up. You carry on. Mm. So he carried on with whatever the Hobbit was doing, and I could whip the PDF out and have a bit of a read through and learn something and write it down and then tell mm. everybody afterwards so we all knew for next time and that kind of thing. But yeah, you, you do get stuff as a player by looking at things when someone else is having their go, and then mm. for the benefit of everyone, just don't like leave it to the GM to have to memorize everything perfectly and you don't do anything you know I think we've discussed before if, if you're a wizard like learn your own spells don't rely yeah. on someone else to tell you how they work that's your job yeah exactly and I think it turns out that we, we don't mind rules in our games and I'm, no. I'm not a fan of those like let's just make it all up because I could do that without buying the books I spent a lot of money on these books <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know we can play cowboys and indians any time we like um, so I don't mind using the rules and I like having it right and whether it's a board game or a war game or a miniatures game, any sort of game really, I get a little bit of pleasure out of um, study, I suppose. That maybe that's a bit weird thing to say, but post session, I quite like going back and looking at some notes about things I put question marks next to, yeah. and being better next time round. Not so that I can use it to hose the game or win, because those are two things you can't really do. But just to be, I don't know, just play the game as it's written. And I'm certainly, I don't like a house rule until we've really tried the actual rule. Yes, correct. I mean, I know my way round rules enough to have written a game, I think, but I still don't, I still have to trust, I think I like to trust the author of the book and give it a fair shake at least. Yeah. Which is what we, you know, what we were doing with Scum and Villainy, wasn't it? So let's, no, let's just play it the way it is in the book and see what happens. I think you have to. Uh, well, for me, because I'm not telling everybody else how to game, but there's too many people out there on the internet so like, oh, I don't need to. I don't need to leave, you know, play a game. I can just read the rules and work out what's wrong, and that kind of that kind mm. of attitude um, leads me to believe that you're not quite as good as you think you are. I don't know. It, it, yeah. Try stuff, and it might turn out to bring something else out that you've not seen by reading through it. No matter how acute or intelligent you think you are, quite often yes. some written text in play just is different. It's a bit like mm -hmm. looking at a recipe for something and think, well, I don't like pineapple, so I probably won't like that. Or, or that sort of mm. feeling it's like well just taste it it's a bit like, a bit like having your yeah. kids and trying to get them yeah. to eat something and you might not like it you might have been correct but like give it a go and then you can work out in what way you might want to change it rather than just making an arbitrary change because you decide you don't like something yeah yeah and it, it do, for me it doesn't stop me being a fan of the original game either no. if I find something I want to change far from it it makes me a bigger fan of it if it's if it's something that I can try and find out a new way of doing it but still be playing that game um, so I, mean, I run a school club for uh, 9 and 10 year olds and um, I had been playing Black Hack 2nd uh, edition with them 
they don't know what it is they just think they're playing Dungeons and Dragons yeah. if they know that they just think they're playing Mr. Stevens' game yeah. um, and that's fine and I'm a big fan of Black Hat 2 I really love loads about it um, but over the course of like six or seven sessions I really felt like there's some bits there that weren't really flowing for the, for the kids more than it was for me having to roll low for some things and high for others was causing them a bit of a strain so weird, yeah. you know yeah usage dice which seems really cool on paper is really cool in lots of situations they didn't really get it they didn't really like it they didn't like having to put a dice to one side and just make a roll and for that it was just a bit odd for them yeah so I made a few subtle changes and 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 the kids are really resilient they don't give a monkeys I just did them some new character sheets and, and what I ended up doing was I don't even it's not even an official game it's just like a a hack of millions of different D&D things that are stuck onto a a player character sheet and they don't have generation rules or anything so they couldn't go and buy this game or make stuff out of it but it's just got I just did a thing where I wrote down all the potential actions that they might want to take in the game because it turns out that the kids really want to know what they can do Yeah. and saying you can do anything is too much for them and if you just look at most character sheets, if you if you do look down the character sheet and see what can you do, you end up looking at the skills section, which aren't always actions, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't go... If you look at a survival skill, you can't say, I choose to do survival this turn. That's just a really weird thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> can I go out there and survive, please, Jim? <laughs> what? You're in a town? Well, I know, but it's listed on my sheet as something I'm good at. So, yeah, so I want to try it out. <laughs> yeah. And the other options are casting spells or um, your attack options. And I know people are, again, going to be shouting at their, their podcasting things now, saying that's what D&D is, <laughs> but it's not. So I wrote a list of the things that they'd asked me before, like, uh, can I befriend someone? Can I run? Um, can I heal that person? Can I dodge it? These are actually all things that rules as written in D&D don't really exist as things you can do. They're like tactical options in some things and, and so on. You know, Clearly, you can run in the game, but that's that's the movement rules. And without wanting to get too technical, that's not an action that you take particularly. No. So, But kids want to do that. They want to run away from things. They want to befriend things. They want to, they like I say, heal. I mean, it's kind of a skill, but it doesn't, it's not something you can do much with the rules as written. So I've just made a big list of those things and put some pluses next to them. Yeah. And give some, give some of them bigger pluses and some of them smaller pluses. And it was driving me slightly nuts because I thought this isn't this isn't robust, this isn't play tested. Oh, and I took away all the dice except the d20 as well. So now the more you go over the number, that's the effect you have, which is what loads of other games yeah. do. Do you know what? That works fine for D and D. Yeah, it really does. If you go six over its armor class, that means you deal it six damage. Yeah, they were really happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been fun. Tinkering with that's been fun. So. That's all been loads of fun, and it doesn't stop my love for the original source material as well. It does make it slightly more complicated, like you with Savage. It's like, which bloody version am I playing right now? Am I going... <laughs> I've got at least 15 different varieties of Attack of Opportunity. And it's like, I don't know what this current game's got. This is getting hard now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, one of the, the things I noticed with uh, the One Ring, there's, there's kind of, you read it, as read, and then it's, it's application in game. So you have um, social encounters, for example, they're called encounters, mm. but it can be a legal battle, as it was at the end of this session. It could be doing your investigation stuff, trying to like talk to people, doing a CSI thing in a village to find out what's been going on, or it could just be like mm. asking the king to go on the quest in the first place and hoping he'll give you some stuff. But you try and build up successes uh, against the tolerance, basically. So it's a bit like skill checks mm. from 4E, I guess, or something like that. Um, anyway, the, the the point of it is that you can use things like uh, awe to like intimidate people or to just use your awesome presence. You can use mm-hmm. song and riddle and like a few different things, courtesy and things. And technically, as the rules are written, I could just roll my riddle all the time, which is fine. I've got mm. points in it. So if you want to metagame it, so to speak, you can pick different skills that hit the skill groups for all the various things you're going to have to do, and then you're covered. But when you play the game, and we're trying to speak to some grieving woman at a graveside, and it's like, well, how are you going to convince it to open up? And it's like, well, they're not riddle. So I could like... 
Riddle me this. <laughs> Riddle me this. <laughs> Who's dead in that grave and why do you care? <laughs> ch- and what has two legs in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> what was breathing and warm and he's now cold as the grave. No, so, and you can think of ways around to use it, but it does feel like you're shoehorning in things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then there's skills which you might not necessarily be as good at, or in fact awful. But sometimes you've got to roll them as well, and I think that's something else that I've seen. With some games, that seems to, it seems to come up with things like, for example, Fate Accelerators, where you have approaches to stuff, and some people have mm. a big number in one thing and a lower number in other things, and they'll always yeah. try and hit the big number, because it's just natural to do that, because you win at that, you get more numbers for it. But it's sometimes yeah. more fun to play by playing the things you're not as good at, and I think Fate Accelerated is supposed to be played as fiction first, so you say what sort of a, what you're doing... Correct. And then you work out what the approach is. But I always see it doing the other way around. The people go, what, mm-hmm. big, what big numbers have I got? That's how I'm now going to frame this approach of the thing I'm going to do. Um, and it's the same for any other game where you've got high numbers in one skill or ability or whatever it is and low numbers in the other. You always try and do the thing with high numbers in it. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's something I've noticed getting a bit of fun from recently is deliberately not going for the big one, if you know what I mean, or, mm-hmm. or picking something that you're mm-hmm. mediocre at just because it seems natural for the game and let's find out what happens and it doesn't matter if you fail yeah you know yeah well you know there's loads of games where it's more fun to fail yeah um, you know and when you see the kind of granularity in a skill list of I mean my, my ideal skill list is 15 or fewer uh, between 10 and 15 ideally if it's less than that there's not much point having them but um, in my opinion so I, I like it about that kind of level but when you see people saying oh, I've got a plus 3 in it and uh, what have you got? Oh, I've got a plus two in it. I don't really like hearing that conversation no. anyway. Yeah. But when it comes down to that, most games, the difference between a plus three and a plus two, it's it's, it's obviously it's one. <laughs> but when that shakes out mechanically, it's five percent if it's a d twenty yeah. roll. It's probably no biggie. You know, if you're saying like you've got eighty percent chance and you've got eighty five percent chance, that whole discussion just sort of wasn't worth it in the end. Yes. Even the person who had a forty percent chance probably should have just gone for it in a risky situation 40 for 60 sounds like a decent role you know and it's you know it can get to be a bit of a hang up and that's and, and I like to play the game I like to have the rules there but sometimes things are very granular um, and it just doesn't matter too much I think with um, online play as well that encourages you to get on with it because you've mm. got to have a bit of noise discipline certainly if there's like say six of you on a session you, you can't really have that in character chat you've got to stay quiet while the GM speaks to the player to get the the action done yeah. the reaction that kind of thing so when it comes to your goal you kind of got to do it efficiently as well because you notice you've got mm-hmm. lots of the people staring at you down the camera lens waiting for you to finish so they can say what they mm-hmm. want to do which they've been waiting for for five minutes so that does lead I've found anyway to, to actions being a bit more crisp online that people just get on with yeah. they sort of self-regulate rather than thinking too much about what they might do they're aware that people are kind of like virtually tapping watches on the wrist not quite to that level and nobody's mean about it mm. but you feel yourself I'm holding other people up by not saying anything now so I need to get on with it yeah that's true yeah that's true yeah there, again we keep coming around to this but there's, there's a different way of playing online GM has got to do different things players have got to act a bit differently to the way they would round the table and I wonder like I'm playing more and more online as I think probably most of us are and I'm still getting loads of um real life gaming in too which is cool but it is it is exercising different gaming muscles mm. um, and those things are probably more important than the actual system that we're playing underneath that I have to be uh, I mean the simplest change for me is that my online sessions my, my rule is two hours is, is really the most I'm going to get out of game anything beyond that you're not going to get a lot out of me yeah. either as a GM or as a player because it's just it's just a bit more full on but in round a table game doesn't really get to its peak until two hours in, probably <laughs> realistically because you know we're still talking about how things went with the family that week and um you know want a biscuit which, <laughs> which you can't share biscuits very well online unfortunately <laughs> so they're, they're two very very different they things are. aren't they but, uh, really really different and it's kind of nice to have two hobbies and that's what it feels like sometimes yeah yeah, yeah. and it's good to try stuff out as well if you just want to have a go mm-hmm. or something for our session if you've got to get mm. a bunch of people together from different parts of the country to sit in a room, it, it feels like a lot of effort just to have a go at a game. Whereas yeah. you can spin up an online one and have a couple of hour crack at it quite easily, mm-hmm. which is a, a yeah. feature. But 
in the traditional space, my uh, my game that GM Matt has been running uh, of Five E, we're up to fifth level, my friend. So this is le- a legitimate campaign now. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Not by the standards of the eighties, I appreciate, but by the standards of the twenty first century, yeah. from zero from zero to five and still going. It's it's all getting a bit. Wow, we've got some backstory here, which we certainly didn't really have on the character sheets when we started, and that, that's going really well. And of all things, we're playing the Acquisitions Incorporated campaign, which go back a couple of years when I was super po-faced. You couldn't have, you couldn't have done me, got me to do that at gunpoint. <laughs> seriously, well, we're going to run a comedy D and D. Oh, fuck off! But um, <laughs> luckily, none of us are funny, so it doesn't feel like a comedy <laughs> <That's right>. game. <laughs> Straight as you like, <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that as a straight game, it's really good fun. <laughs> Matt's doing loads of stuff behind the scenes to like smooth over some of the edges, and uh, and he's really good at that. And uh, and he and he's putting filler in and so on. He's he, oh man, he does this right. This is going to split the audience probably ninety nine one. <laughs> I think that this is going to split the audience. He t- he gets the the opening chapter book with the contents page, and he goes over it with a pen and crosses out chapters he doesn't think he wants to play that's disgusting <laughs> and he writes in new words and oh man and when something happens like if we kill an NPC he crosses them out <laughs> he actually crosses them out I know boy Ben Simon in uh, Bermuda is going to love that because they used to go over his limited edition cult black and white book with a yellow highlighter and rip pages mm-hmm. out and stuff Oh, I'd need two Matt copies says, of the book to do that one to write in and one to keep that's nice <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt goes well it's, it's my book now I've written in it it wasn't my book till then <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> so but he's very good at that and he's um, the trouble is uh, Matt won't mind me saying this he's been showing signs of restlessness recently he does that great thing and we all, we've all done it I'm amazed we've got to fifth level honestly I'm stunned and um, you start thinking like oh I don't know oh, this 5e I know we've been playing it for a while now but well, I've been looking at some other games and some things that we could import, and and maybe you know, obviously not completely change system, although I'd like to. <laughs> and then, and so it's like we got all right, no, Matt. For God's sake, mate, let's just play this game. Yeah, don't go mad. And then he starts thinking, oh, I tell you what, though, this adventure, there's quite a lot ahead of us. And before we get really deeply into it, I've been thinking about some other stuff that I'm slightly more interested in these days because it's not you don't have the same feelings you did like a year and a half ago no. when you picked it up and it was hot. Of course not. So then he started talking about changing the campaign setting. And then he started getting into our characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't have a bard, do you? Maybe you should think about having a bard. I could roll up a bard. In fact, I could put one in the party. I could play the bard in my game. No! Right, you can't change the rules, the setting, and the characters, Matt. If you don't want to run something else, mate, just say. But don't try and morph it all and yeah, right. coerce us into playing City of Mist, which is what you really want to do. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say early into that, before you even got into half of it, I was going to say, like, just play another game. Like, yeah. Stop yeah, trying to... Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, bless. <laughs> but he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to abandon what the, the goodwill we've got behind us now. You know, we've got... Yeah. Not only have we got, like, a head of steam up, but now we've got, like, legacy. Yes. Um, and I think, I think the dream still is, you know, early in March... It, People say, don't they, I'd really like to play a really good long campaign with a bit of closure on the end and it feels like we've really made a name for ourselves and got some stories to tell. And that's that's still the gold standard for me. Mm. One shots are great, small campaigns are fantastic, more games than I ever want to play, you know, and and this five E campaign, I, I never thought it would be five E and I certainly never thought it would be Acquisitions Incorporated, but this is the one that's got legs, so god damn it. I'm staying on the horse. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't think when you when you're our age anyway, and the, and the sort of games we play, you can't aim for a long campaign. It's just going to no. happen. It was funny on Twitter today. A guy was saying about the One Ring thing. Uh, oh, I think I'm actually oh, it was an accidental campaign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And because we played five or six sessions, I can't remember which now. And it's the same for Deadlands and some other stuff. And I think you've got to approach it as just we're just playing to have fun, and then it, it will transpire mm-hmm. to become a campaign if everybody's still having fun with it. Uh, but yeah, trying to plan a two-year campaign from the off, what we're all going to be excited about for two yeah. years, that's a, a highway to nowhere. Yeah, well, that's like asking people to marry you on your first date, which I have done successfully, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but generally not a good idea. Let's just take it one date at that's a time, shall we? One sample. I think we've got a wider population with that. 
might get a different result. <laughs> That's a sampling error, Baz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not thinking too far ahead is a good thing as well, and it does it does prevent burnout as well. You know, I was talking about uh, prepping uh, for games a little while ago. I, d- I did pick up the uh, uh, Sly Flourish's book. Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master or Games Master I think he calls it Dungeon Master it's good it's really good he's totally listened to our podcast it's full of all of our advice from back in the day and today it really is, is it? Uh, pace yeah there's stuff in there about pace oh I suppose maybe we haven't exactly trademarked it but we should have done <laughs> it's really good I did I did learn some stuff from it as well though one of the nice things about it is, is although it's 120 pages long because it's about making your life um, much more effective as a games master it's not about advocating no prep or playing zero prep games or GMless games it's about like you probably play Dungeons and Dragons or Savage or something like that or Call of Cthulhu and you probably do want to have a scenario in mind for when people come over or you've got a published one so this is real advice for how to do that without breaking your back Um, and you know interestingly all the chapters are like a page long so it's even that reading this book is not going to take up your whole life and you can dip in and out of it and read it in any order that you want um, so it's uh, so it's, it, it kind of does what it says it pre- practices what it preaches and I've learned some really good stuff from it as well one of the, the interesting things that I must do this I'm sure, I think you probably do this already but it's nice to see it named is um, one of the one of the things a GM can do to move things along is to clarify choices you know when everybody's yeah. in a town and you say alright what do you want to do because that's a really important question what do you do now and then you've got loads of people flapping really and nothing no one's being the leader so everybody's got valid comments and the whole party looks like it's going to fizzle or just drift off into the city and maybe never come back together and it's just a piece about clarifying choices which isn't dictating what anyone does or even hurrying people up it's just like Right, so just to clarify, this is what's on the table now. We've got this one, this one, and this one. Is that right? Okay, so out of those then, which one's most likely? And and it's just those kind of questions just funnel people towards it. It's just asking people to make a decision without being so crap and crass as to go, can't you guys decide anything, you idiots? (laughs) (laughs) Or sitting there being all passive-aggressive and just like dropping ninjas on them because they've sat in the pub all morning. (laughs) not doing anything and it's full of little things like that which I thought yeah yeah I found myself nodding along which is a good sign yeah yeah that's one of the good things about a gone as well that it just you arrive at an island and it says like this is the stuff that's happening right now because something's immediately happening mm. requires attention and here's two different two or three different things that you could do so ask your players these questions and it's like right do you go and mm. speak to the priest or do you go and speak to this miner or do you do something else because like people are being eaten by harpies? So what do you do about it? And it's like, mm. but you've narrowed the choices down. You don't describe a scene and sit back and go, so what do you do? And just leave them with an open mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I don't know. How many harpies are there? Who can we see? Like, what, Do I think the priest is on his own or is there, is there someone in the temple behind him? Yeah. I think it's what you said about your kids earlier when you say you can do anything. That just upsets mm. players because they're, not, they're then mm. trying to work out what they're supposed to do. Because you're trying to stay on vogue and in theme and make sure that you're playing the game properly. But if you don't know what your limitations are, you don't quite know what you're supposed to be doing. You want to join in, don't you? And you don't want to look like an ass. You want to do it right, or, don't you? Or, yeah. yeah, you don't want to upset anyone. You, you know, it's like people complain about railroading, but my experience is that people want to sign up for whatever the GM's got on offer. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know all right, I'll go to the Misty Lagoon. Unless you don't have that in mind, GM, because if you don't have that in mind, I'll do it another <laughs> we'll time. Else, Not yeah. precious about it, you know. <laughs> if instead we need to go to Craggy Castle, just saying, if that's where your if that's where your notes are, we'll do that this week. Yeah, but you can't say that out loud, can you? <laughs> but that's what everybody really wants because we're nice people. Yeah, well, I hope. <laughs> It was kind of funny doing it with you guys uh, in Dadlands last time when you were like you were in the saloon, and there was something yeah. clearly happening in Chinatown, but there was no mm. real need or reason for your characters to go there, and we had a bit of a laugh about it. Uh, but you could all see straight away I'm saying, "This is where the adventure is," and I can't really be bothered coming up with like some elaborate yeah. play. Like and I know you guys want well that you go, "Well, let's go and have a look then," because clearly that's where mm-hmm. the thing is that you need to go and have yeah. a look at. So. 
yeah yeah don't I, yeah but you don't want people to take the opportunity I mean, no one's doing this to be an arse either but people will take the opportunity to go well I think we should probably go tomorrow after we rested well we need a breakfast first well I've got to buy a Stetson so can we go Tuesday it's like no I know it's the middle of the night let's go now because <laughs> Gaz has said this is where it's at so let's go <laughs> you kind of you have to get around those yeah dump very similitude really don't you at those points because that's where the adventure is there's a bit of that and, yeah. you know and we've all got to get up for work tomorrow so can we have an adventure and the other way I write my adventures is like I know what the NPCs are doing and what the story is so they're having their own mm. little sims adventure while you lot are doing whatever it is you're doing so, so it's fine if you as players want to go or had decided for whatever like oh, actually it's quite late let's turn in for that and do it in the morning mm. you'll be like okay well that thing's now happened the ritual's happened this thing's been mm. summoned and now all things have got a lot worse but you don't know so yeah. then you go there and there's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. things are happening so which allows me as a gem to keep myself entertained a little bit I've got my own story that I'm moving around and it gives yeah. players some flexibility if they decide they want to learn more information rather than go straight to it it's like well you can I'm just going to tick up this thing that I'm doing in the background and I think to sort of circle back to blades and stuff that's something it does front and centre where you have your, mm. your advancement clocks and someone goes, oh, I don't know, mm -hmm. I want to do this. And you go, okay. And you shade in a couple more triangles on your Trivial Pursuit pie chart, I think. And mm -hmm. that chart might be when the demon's summoned or, or whatever it might be. But you write it on the table in front of the players. And as they vacillate, you keep filling in segments. Uh, and so without being telling them they have to do something, they just see something happening. When I ran Scum and Villainy yeah. for um, Pete and the guys a couple of weeks ago, in the flesh, so to speak, that was where, at one point where the girls were saying, like, Stop saying things, it keeps drawing clocks. <laughs> I had to explain that. It's kind of part of the game, but that was a fun little device, and that's something from uh, the Forge of the Dark games that you can use, which keeps everybody engaged. It's a bit of system, but it feels like mm. uh, it's keeping you engaged with the game as well and what's happening in the fiction rather than being taking you out of it by doing something mechanical. Yeah, that's, that, that kind of style has really informed my gaming recently as well. You know, I was. It was not that long ago. It suddenly clicked, and probably due to some advice I've read on Twitter or something, that as a GM, the NPCs are your characters. Yeah. And that, and, and I mean, you play them the way the players play their characters. They have them do stuff. Have them with agendas. Have them force issues. You know, have them not asking the players permission, but just doing stuff. At the same time, you've got to be a fan of the players. Yeah. You know, so you don't just like. You know, if you've got an NPC sniper, he doesn't just sit in a bell tower and like crack the heads open like watermelons from four hundred yards. <laughs> so, you know that you don't do that because you're a fan of the players, and ultimately you're probably going to lose with your games. So that's true, but it doesn't mean they're just going to sit around idly. It's it's just more fun as the GM, isn't it? Just have your little fronts from Dungeon World, Apocalypse World, etc. Yeah. Just moving, just clicking along on the little calendar. Waiting to be disrupted. Yeah. But they're not sitting there in stasis, ready to start when the players arrive. Yeah. That's the right. players are going to arrive on the scene and mess up the plot horribly in a really good way. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be really good at uh, making sure the agendas don't happen just by their presence. But nothing's waiting for them to arrive. Yeah. I think a good way to approach it, for something I, I enjoy anyways, is imagining that the, the bad guys know what they're doing and they're going to succeed. Until yeah. the players are introduced, and that's the thing that's going to stop them. But from their mm -hmm. point of view, they're quite happy. They've had the plot that they've been sorting out for the last five years, and finally everything's coming together. It's all coming to fruition. Mm. If it wasn't for those pesky yeah. kids, and it's those players coming yeah. and fucking things up that's going to make it an interesting adventure. But you can do things for flavour as well. So if you have um, a couple of guys in town, maybe in a, a Deadlands like setting, you've got two saloons in town, and the, the owners mm. of each are feuding with each other and always have been. And they might try and recruit the players to join one side or the other, and the players might ignore that and go fighting demons or whatever it is that's more interesting. Mm. But next time in their town, you can kind of escalate that conflict in some way. You can show bullet holes in the walls, or you can see there's a lot of high gunslingers about for no apparent reason when they mm. first walk in, or you know, just have bits of flavour in your world that advance, and then that adds a bit of story to the plan. They go, hang on a minute, we know these guys from last time. What's going on here? And you know, at yeah. some point, they might actually bite it, and you know, something might happen or not. But it's it's a nice bit of moving scenery. That makes the world feel alive, rather than like you mm. say a West World, where it all resets, waiting for the players to turn up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you don't end up having so much fun that your two NPCs are talking to each other, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and the players are watching it happen. <laughs> See scenarios from the nineties. <laughs> White Wolf. They said once, yeah, I'm having a three-way conversation between some hobbits that got a bit out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
since Andy Serkis proved you could do Gollum, I've seen people actually do that in real life. <laughs> GMs having that sort of double conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Players looking on befuddled. <laughs> I sometimes find myself almost doing it. And I'll kind of like one line each from two, pe- two different people and then go, and then basically what they say is, and then just summarise it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all nobody cares about anyway. Cool. Right, what else have we had on there, mate? So th- we've done a lot of gaming. I've been keeping notes, actually. I've even written down some of the games that I've played this year. I've tried uh, a town called Malice when I was playing with the uh, Northampton crew as well. What's that? It's <laughs> like, you know, the Nordic Noir things, like the bridge and the killing and whatever else. Yeah. Those sort of TV shows. Uh, it mm-hmm. sort of emulates that a little bit. So you're in an isolated community and there's uh, a bad thing going to happen and your players are trying to, the characters are trying to stop that bad thing happening effectively. Mm-hmm. It's quite a narrative game. It's not not quite fiasco light, but it's fairly light in terms of there's not a lot to it, and you sort of move dice right. into three different locations that are on a table, and you can spend a story point to bring in another NPC or another location that's important or that kind of thing. But it does quite a neat job if you want to just have a one-shot session of um, there's something bad in the town and you as townsfolk have to sort it out. And gives you like reason mm. you sort of like go the person to your left owes you something the person to your right there's unrequired love or whatever it might be that kind of stuff so it's a nice little setup I've seen it on the convention scene quite a lot so it's good to give it a go mm. I think for me personally it's a bit stone soup in terms of there's okay. not enough game element and I prefer more game and rolling dice and stuff in in what I do uh, but for what it does if you like that kind of a more story game for example or you like that theme then uh, yeah check it out cool i would not actually heard of that one before I've been sort of strictly mainstream on my gaming recently or or, or very fantasy uh, fantasy role playing game um, some sort of like the as indie as I've got recently is picking up because I needed them more fantasy role playing games <laughs> so, <laughs> I've uh, picked up Five Torches Deep um, which was went through Kickstarter recently and that's a nice little take on a, an old school version of 5e uh, there is such a thing, and that's quite that's quite nice. And a few bits and pieces like that, things like maze rats and and what have you. So I think my my fantasy role playing game count is is approaching triple figures now. Oh, shocking! <laughs> it wasn't surprised <laughs> if it's there already. You just forgotten some in a box in the attic somewhere. I, I, I've I've been through them all. I think I've got them. But this is a shocking number now. And then, like I say, I did my school club where I just invented my own thing anyway. So uh, that's shocking. Um, and outside of that genre, not too much. Um, I'm waiting on a few more things to be delivered, and um, yeah, I just I'm keeping it keeping it relatively old school, and it's all barbarians and wizards still, um, apart from scum and villainy. Uh, so I've got a, I've got a mind to maybe try out a few few different things, and maybe maybe March is the month where I sort of uh, branch out into other genres. Um, yeah, but, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I still still love my fantasy stuff. You know what can I say? It's not getting old. No. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, I've, I've got what I've got coming up. Um, so there's, is it Vason or Vazen? It's the the latest free league game. Oh, kind of. Yeah, the, the Nordic yeah. horror one. Yeah, so that looks cool. That's funded and everything. So at some point that will just turn up on my doorstep with a big box full of stuff that I don't need. Mm-hmm. But the game itself looks good. So I'll be interested to try that for sure. And I've still not really done a lot with Alien. Which is their their no, product yeah, that came yeah. out, so I should do something with that at some point. Yeah, I think so because that was sexy times, and um, they, I mean, they, I mean, three league are releasing games faster than you can play yeah, them that's, now, aren't? Yeah, literally the case. You yeah. know, we, I think we only got one session in a Forbidden Lands, and, and I, I think that probably needed more play, really, to really get under the skin yes. of <laughs> Mutant Year Zero, which I've actually done a reasonable amount of games of has been supplanted by Gene Lab Alpha and Elysium and the Robots one and all the rest of it. That's like four games deep, let alone supplements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't keep up. And now that they've opened up that license, well, haven't they? So that anybody can have a go at yes. it now, uh, or however that works. So, oh, yeah, golden age, mate. And, and the games still keep coming in through the letterbox, and I've been down to my local game store, and they're, they're stocking some stuff now. So shout out to Counterculture Games, who have been excellent. And treated my wife and child like they were people, which doesn't often happen in friendly local gaming stores. So, you know, <laughs> good on them. Yeah, loads of stuff still coming into the big pile of gaming resource. But uh, but 2020 has been a cracking year so far, just a couple of months in, and um, things are getting played. Things are coming off the shelf and actually seeing, seeing play at the table, which is what they were built for. 
Yeah. So I'm pleased about that. No, same here. Well, I finished my school work now, so I've you know I've like mm. read a book, played some games, <laughs> done all kinds of things. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and of course, yeah, I've written a book. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing probably to mention is we're coming up to sort of conventions start happening as well. So uh, Seven Hills uh-huh. is in about a month from now. Up at the garrison, I'll be going to uh, probably go to the Kraken in Germany as always. Continuums on this year, so I might have a look at that. Uh, there's obviously things like Albert and Wizard Staff and Grog Meat and mm. Milton Keynes one, the Concrete Cow, the Spaghetti Conjunction. There's a million other ones that I'm not even mentioning that, that happen as well. So, mm. looking forward in about a month or so to start doing the whole traveling around the country or to other countries to play some convention games as well. Yeah, and, and those are always a good opportunity as well to like um, to meet up with uh, some of the Smart Potty and associated podcast people because uh, it's good times to be putting faces to names and I remember last year Albert was a real highlight for me because we spent a year talking into our microphones and um, and playing some games and getting some great guests on and that sort of thing and seeing emails and texts coming through and patron money so thank you ever so much again like we always say that was yeah, dropping into the hat bigly nice. last year and Albert was so lovely to be able to see the people who made all of those contributions to our gaming lives and made it richer you know and gave us the impetus to to have these chats and record them, what 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 a treat that was to meet those people for real, um, and uh, looking forward to seeing more of them again over the coming convention season, because the daffodils are up, the sun's out, I'm coming home in the daylight. <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be convention season. It's got to be. <laughs> I've got to start picking which of my old rolled ups I use and which dice trays and which sets of dice. So the <laughs> dozens I've now got somehow accumulated. <laughs> I bought a dice set yesterday. <laughs> Why did I buy a dice set? I don't need a dice set. Oh dear. Yeah, I've, I've bought four end. dice sets for my D and D players for the next time we play, so I can have one each. Yes, correct. Which is good. <laughs> Hooray! Right, I think we've spent at least an hour chatting now, Bath, so it's probably time to sign off for now and go and read some more games. Yeah, we should. We could have played a game in this time. Goodness me. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. Me and Baz are going to get ourselves ready to play some Deadlands at the weekend and various other things. If you want to let us know what you've been doing, are there any cool new games that we've not seen or not heard of yet that you want to let us know about? Uh, any sessions you want to run? We're always keen to pop up every now and again and play in someone else's game. Certainly if you want to give Baz something other than fantasy. He'll, he'll say he wants fantasy, but just try and give him something else yeah, to play. Yeah. Barbarians in space. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Tell us how, you, how your New Year's resolutions are going. Because we, we always do that in January, don't yeah. we? And I picked up a really good tip. I think it was from Guy, actually. Just do one month at a time resolutions. That's so um, I, I've, I've had a couple. Um, and my March one, then, is going to be to play a game that isn't uh, isn't all dragons in holes in the ground. We'll see. How's your New Year's resolutions going? Send, in, send us in your details, what you've been playing. We see loads of stuff coming through on social media all the time and people celebrating games they've literally just signed off on. You know, they've just stepped away from the table and they're ranting about how good it was it's great to see that so yeah drop us a line either through patreon uh, where you can also drop us a dollar uh, or just email us at the smart party at hotmail.com and um, we'd love to hear your stories yeah or find us on facebook find us on the twitters anything else you want until next time guys ta-da bye-bye